Amen. You guys may be seated. We all have struggles. We all have aspects of our lives, in our lives, that are a challenge. And so we're just taking that topic, realizing that all of our struggles are a little different. I mean, our particular mix of struggles may be different, but there's some fairly common ones that challenge pretty much all of us. And so we're trying to find those and talk about those from the perspective of God's Word. How does God speak into that particular struggle in your life or in my life? And last week we talked about the struggle for our thoughts and where our minds tend to go. This week we're going to talk about the struggle of time, just the sheer struggle with calendar and to-do list and obligations, the struggle of managing our time. And I think this has become a greater struggle over time for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is because we're constantly connected now, right? And that, that's a good thing in a lot of ways, but that's a challenging thing when it comes to uh, managing our time as well. We all have these, right? Some form of this stuck in a pocket or a purse or we're looking at right now. And probably many of you during the course of the next 30 minutes, you're going to get a text on one of these, and some of you are going to reply to that text while I'm talking. I, I just know this is going to happen. And if you don't get a text, you're going to get a push notification, right? Uh, CNN's going to bother you, or USA Today's got something that you need to know, or ESPN has something that you need to know right this very minute, and so that's going to come through. Um, you're going to get a notification that somebody liked your Instagram picture of the dinner that you had last night. That's going to happen this morning. Uh, you're going to get a notification that you have an email, and then you're going to be struggling with, should I answer the email right now? Can I hide my screen so the people beside me don't know that I'm answering an email right now? All, being constantly connected means there's this continuous noise, this continuous distraction in our life. For all the good things that that connection does for us, it also begins to eat away at our calendar and our time. And another reason I think time is challenging is because our society used to form some natural boundaries for us related to time. There used to be, in our just, just the culture that we were in, there, there used to be parentheses. The weekends used to be a parenthesis, right? You worked Monday through Friday, and then there was kind of this pause on Saturday and Sunday. And then there was no longer a pause on Saturday. There was a pause on Sunday. And now there's no longer a pause on Saturday. There's no longer a pause on Sunday because most of us know that Saturday and Sunday now are just as busy as Monday through Friday. And for some of us, Saturday and Sunday's busier than Monday through Friday. There's not sort of that natural stop. Um, Thanksgiving is two and a half weeks away. Thought about that lately. Two and a half weeks, we'll be celebrating Thanksgiving. So we're kind of gearing up toward Thanksgiving Day. And it used to be there was this nice parenthesis around Thanksgiving. Like we, we took time for our family and then Black Friday came along, right? So regardless of how thankful we were on Thursday, we needed a whole bunch of new stuff on Friday. I don't know how those go together. <laughs> So midnight, Friday, you were free from being grateful and you could be envious now and go buy a whole bunch of stuff on Friday. Then midnight became 
10, which became 9 p.m., which became 6 p.m., which in some stores now is 12 noon on Thanksgiving. We're opening up. We have all the stuff you need to make your life happy. And then there's always that discussion of some stores considering not even closing on Thanksgiving. The the margins, the parentheses, the, hey, look, we're all going to stop are fewer and fewer in our culture. Remember when kids used to play a season of ball? They used to have like one season, and they played, and it was great, and somebody won, and they're the only ones that got a trophy, and then there was an all-star game, and like only if you won the all-star game did you get a trophy. We had this like sensible, here's one season, lay it all on the line, get better, learn some stuff, get coached up, and then the season was over. And you played something else, or you, you just took a break. And if you're a parent today, you know that's gone, right? It's like 12 months out of the year. Our culture's not inserting these parentheses for us, these boundaries for us, which means if you and I are going to have stops and boundaries, we've got to put them in place ourselves. A lot of us used to work jobs where we actually left at 5 o'clock. And we didn't come back to the job till 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock the next morning. But again, thanks to connection, you get emails all during the night. You get text messages. You get projects that we're all supposed to log on and be a part of. Or we're Skyping. Or we're, having, we're going to meeting online. It's like there is, this, there is no stop. There is no boundary. There is no parentheses. And, and the Bible speaks into this idea of time. And how time should be managed and how time should be thought of, specifically, a guy named Paul. A New Testament book, which is toward the end of the book, uh, end of the Bible, about halfway through the New Testament. There's a book called Ephesians. Paul's writing a letter. He's covering a whole lot of topics. Time is one that he covers in Ephesians chapter 5. Now, in Ephesians 5, Paul's building an argument uh, about how the world has this sense of darkness to it, this sense of, of evil. I don't know how you feel about that word, but Paul's saying the world has this sense of evil, kind of oppression, kind of darkness. What he's saying is the world's going to take you in the wrong direction if you let it. I mean, if you just go along with what everybody's doing, you're going to end up downstream of some things you don't want to be a part of. So he's giving this warning, and in verse 14 of chapter 5, he quotes from an old hymn, He says, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That's Paul's way of saying, look, snap out of it. Like, Stop giving in. Stop thinking about your life the way everybody else thinks about their life. Stop thinking about your relationships, your time, your calendar, the things that you're doing, the way unbelievers think. Snap out of it. Wake up. Look at life in a different manner. And then after he quotes that hymn, Paul begins to give just some very practical, very common sense sort of suggestions as to how we can wake up. They're not overly spiritual, a lot of them. They're highly practical. For example, Paul says, uh, not long after that hymn, he says, look, don't don't be foolish. Don't be a fool. Before Mr. T ever started using that sort of language, if you're old enough to know who Mr. T is, Paul was on the scene. Saying, I pity the fool, right? Don't be a fool. Don't act foolish. Just practical. Be wise. Be smart. 
He says at one point, like, don't, don't get drunk. This is not good for you. This is not good for your relationships. This is not good for the direction of your life. Just, again, not overly spiritual, highly practical comments about how to wake up in a world that's gone to sleep. Now, the first thing he says in verse 15, Paul writes, Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Making the most of every opportunity, which is a great phrase. Paul uses this phrase twice in the New Testament, slightly different um, applications in, in each time that he uses it. Here's what it means. Making the most of every opportunity is a financial phrase. It's the idea of redeeming or buying back or rescuing from loss, like don't let it get away from you. Make sure you invest wisely, redeem, buy back, rescue it from being lost, put it to good use. So it's a financial term that Paul's applying to time and essentially saying, don't waste your life. Don't waste the days that you have. Don't waste the minutes and the seconds and the months. Don't waste your calendar. Instead, wake up. Live in a way that you're investing your time wisely. Paul's essentially encouraging us to think of our minutes, our, our time as currency. Think of it as dollars. It's that valuable, Paul's saying. None of us would think on the way home of rolling down the window and throwing $20 bills out, right? I mean, that's... It would never occur to any of us just to throw money out the window on the way home. And if it has occurred to you, let me know, because I will follow you home. <laughs> Typically, don't tailgate, but for you, I would make an exception. If you're just going to throw money out the window, well, Paul's saying the same thing about time. Paul's saying, wake up, be wise, think about how you're using your day and your time and your hours, and don't waste them. They're extremely valuable. And the question then becomes, how am I investing? How am I investing my time? Because in order to do that, I have to be extremely intentional. Maybe you're not that way. I think most of us are, though. I think we have to be very intentional about how we spend our seconds and days and months and calendar, because most of us will not gravitate toward always making wise use of our time. I mean, think of our kids, right? Do your kids gravitate toward wise use of their time? Or do they gravitate toward video games and Netflix? Right? We just have this tug toward wasting time. And, and let's be honest, we're just big kids, right? If we're adults, we're just big kids and we're pulled maybe not to those things or maybe to those things, but we're, we have this tug toward not using the fullest extent of our time investing it well. So if we're going to do that, it's going to have to be an intentional act on our part. Paul gives this very practical, very applicable to our life, command, make the most of the time that you have. So I, I want to kind of follow in his footsteps, and I just want to kind of give some practical advice when it comes to 
This topic is not going to be earth-shattering. It's probably not anything you haven't heard before. It's fairly common sense, but Paul's talking a lot of common sense right here in this passage. If we're going to do that, if we're going to buy up the minutes of our life, here's my first suggestion. Organize your day. Organize your day. And nobody's going, oh, I've never heard that before. That's amazing truth, incredible insight. No, we've heard that before. You've taken time management courses. You've, you've been told these sort of things at work. Get a handle on your seconds and minutes and hours, or you will lose them. Last week, we were talking about our thoughts. I made the comment that you and I have to tell our minds what to think sometimes. Like We have to take control of our thinking and tell our mind what it's going to be put on, set on, to use Paul's words. Same thing with our calendar. You and I have to tell our minutes how they're going to get spent throughout the day. You and I have to come up with some system. And, and, and your system is going to be different from my system. But we have to come up with some way to capture, reclaim, redeem the minutes of our day. I'm a list person. Any other list people in the house? Good. All right. These are the most godly people right here, the people <laughs> who are there. They love Jesus more than the rest of you. I'm a list person, especially the more stress I'm under. The more stress I have, the more lists I make, the longer the list gets made, the more details are in the list, the more A's and B's and C's and 1's and 2's and 3's and time when I need to get that done. I get super high focused on lists because that helps me organize my day. Now, it may not help you. Maybe you're a calendar person. Maybe, maybe you have a calendar. Maybe you have a day timer. Maybe you have some other, maybe you have an app. Right? Maybe there's a thing on your computer, and that's how you organize your day. But if you and I are going to reclaim the minutes of our life, we got to tell the minutes how they're going to get spent. Now, obviously, we're going to have interruptions. Right? I mean, we're going, to have to, we're going to have to move away from our list at times. But what I've found is when I've organized my day and I get a distraction, when I get an interruption, it's much easier to get back on the important things if I've already organized it. Like, I don't have to spend time figuring out, okay, now, how do, where was I? What am I trying to accomplish today? I've already decided that. My, my a related suggestion is keep that in a place. Have a place for that. This is where you buy up the minutes. This is where you organize your day. I mentioned I used to have, I used to do a day timer system, big, thick thing that you carried around, made you look real important. I used to have that, and it, it was expensive, and I didn't want to lose it. I don't do that anymore. I, I have a notebook every year. I buy a notebook in the end of December, and all of my lists are in here. Um, all of my brainstorming is in here. Things I need to remember are in here. Um, weird ideas, they all go in here. Sermon prep, sermon planning, which is a lot of weird ideas sometimes, all goes in here. And I keep this for a year. I get to the end, put it away, start a brand new one. What, wherever you want to keep one is fine. Just have a place. This is where my organizing of my time is. Second idea. Cover every day with the filter of eternity. Every day. And here's what I mean. Over your list, over your agenda, over your calendar, over your month, there just needs to be a grid where you ask, what am I doing that has some eternal significance here? 
What am I doing that's going to matter after I'm gone? When I'm in heaven and I'm looking back and assessing my life, what am I doing today, this week, this month that will matter in eternity? Just have this grid of what is really eternally important. Now, look, I'm not suggesting that everything on our list is going to be eternally significant. There are a lot of things that we have to do that there's not some cosmic reason for it. Grocery shopping has to be done, right? Like, we have to go grocery shopping. I, I guess if I worked really hard, I could find some spiritual connection there, like I'm supposed to provide for my family and feed my children, and God wants me to be a good... Fi- I'm just not that spiritual, honestly. It's just grocery shopping. I, I just have to go... Gro- so, every week, myself or my wife... Um, most of the time it's me, most of the time it's on Sunday night. As a matter of fact, if you want like a pastoral appointment with me, <laughs> 6.45 at Kroger, <laughs> Sunday evenings, okay? If you need some counseling, um, produce department, um, if, you, if the message stunk and you just want to make me aware of that, um, you just meet me at Kroger, 6.45, almost every Sunday night, uh, and, and, and we can talk. It's not some big cosmic eternal significance there for me. All had to be changed this week. Uh, tag light had to get replaced because I got pulled over. Um, actually, I got pulled over right in front of our building, which was a nice surprise. Uh, fortunately, warning, got to get that fixed. Those things are on the list. They have to get done. I don't know that there's some great eternal significance about Obey the laws of the land. All right, if you want to connect everything, go, go for it. That's not me. I'm not like a everything connects to heaven somehow. What, what I'm saying is I have to frequently step back from my list and my calendar and my days and all of my planning and organization and ask, okay, what of this really does count for eternity? All of it's probably not. But, but what have I done? Where have I carved out significant amounts of time for my heavenly Father to study His Word, to pray, to worship, to, to, to encourage someone else, to be a part of someone else's life in a way that would encourage them to get in a small group, to form community? Where does my calendar measure up if I'm really, really evaluating everything by heaven? Jesus tells this great story. In the Gospels, he says there was this guy who was extremely successful and very wealthy, and he had all kinds of crops one year, and he filled up all of his barns, and then he had more crops, so he built bigger barns, and he filled up all of those barns, and then God speaks to this guy and says, uh, you're going to die tonight. The, the verse says, your soul will be required of you. What a great phrase. Your soul will be required of Guess what? You're not living to see the morning. How much are those barns going to help you then? It's just a a great perspective story that I do a lot of barn building and maybe there's nothing wrong with barn building unless there's not a significant amount of activity in my life that really is eternal and that really is going to matter the moment that I die. Just a grid of eternity over what you're doing. Third suggestion. Find strategies that work for you. Find pictures, find illustrations, um, find metaphors that help you get a hold of your time. I'm going to give you one that works for me. 
All right, this one works for me. It's a, it's a quadrant system, like four quadrants right here. Um, this is not my idea. I'd rip this right off of uh, Stephen Covey, unless you've never seen this before, and then this is my idea. All right. <laughs> I made up the whole thing if you've never seen this before. So here's what we have. We have important agenda items, and we have unimportant agenda items. We have urgent items, and we have not urgent items. And really, everything on your to-do list for tomorrow and everything on your calendar for the rest of the year falls in one of these four areas. Quadrant one is important and urgent. In other words, it has to be done, and it has to be done right now. This is deadlines. This is crisis mode. This is often panic mode. This is often, I've put things off long enough that I can't put them off a second longer. I have to do them now, or there's going to be a huge consequence if I don't finish this right now. And this is Part of the problem of where our world is is that everything is quadrant one. Everything is it's important now. It's important now. It's important. I have to do it now. I needed to do it yesterday, and now I've asked for additional time, and I have to get it done now. We live so much of our life in this fast pace. It has to be done right now quadrant. Let's jump to quadrant three. I'll come back to two. Quadrant three is the unimportant but urgent. It's not important, it's not any value, but it's urgent. Now, you might think, oh, what falls into that category? Well, things like unproductive meetings. <laughs> so you've been to some of those? Is that what you're saying? Like, you have to go, it's urgent. You have to go because your boss called the meeting or your department said everybody's got to meet, but nothing gets accomplished. And so it's urgent. You have to do it, but it's not adding anything eternally or in this life even. It's not helping at all. Another thing that falls into this category, some of our email falls into this. It's really not important, but I feel like I have to respond. I feel like they're expecting me to reply, and this is a waste of my time, but I have to because they'll get mad or I'll get fired or something like that. I have to respond even though this is not very Important. Some social media falls into this. Well, I got to like their picture because they liked my picture, and I got to respond because they responded, and they expect me to respond really, really quickly. And if I don't respond quickly, then they're going to get mad. So it's really not important, but it feels urgent. Text messages, especially the younger you are. The younger you are, text messages fall into this category because there is this expectation the younger you are, that if you get a text message, you respond immediately, right? And if you don't, then you're mad. And if you don't for very long, I'm mad at you. And see, we have all this stuff swirling in our culture that's unimportant but urgent and stealing minutes and seconds and, and hours from us. This last one, quadrant four, is the unimportant, not urgent. Unimportant, not urgent. In other words, how much of my time is spent on time wasters, just completely wasteful? Extended amounts of social media, for example. Um, 
Netflix binging, right? Not all, not all Netflix. Maybe some of that is recreational and, and you're kind of debriefing, you're kind of, but come on. Seasons and seasons of the office, really? Walking dead. There comes a point where this is just a time. It's not important. It's not urgent. But it's sucking up time from me. Which leaves quadrant two. Which is the important, but it's not urgent. In other words, this has to be done. This has high value for my job, for my relationships, for eternity. This has high value. I don't have to do it right now. But if I work on it right now... That keeps it from becoming a crisis two weeks from now. Because that's what quadrant one usually ends up being. It's usually quadrant two stuff that we didn't do, and then it became quadrant one. We kept putting up, we kept procrastinating when it was over here, when we could have worked on it and had time to think and be creative and give our best effort and really bring about a nice product. We, if we had worked over here on it, it would have been all of that, but now it's over here and it's crisis and it has to get done. And so I'm going to have to cut corners. I don't have time to proofread. And I don't have time to practice the presentation because I waited till the end. This is the area, quadrant two, people often describe as having margin in your life, room to breathe. Uh, white space, like on a piece of paper, like your calendar and your page is not all covered up with uh, notes and scribble. Instead, you've got space. You've got breathing room, you've got margin in your life when you work on things that are important eternally and here, but they're not urgent, they're not right now, I'm working ahead, I'm planning ahead, I'm thinking ahead, so when I'm here, I have time for relationships because I'm not in panic mode, I have time for prayer, I have time to been with God because I'm not in panic mode about these other things I've put off. I have margin. Which when you read the Gospels, that looks a lot like the life of Jesus. Because I encourage you to read all four Gospels and find the verse that says, and Jesus was in a really big hurry. Find it. Find the verse that says, and Jesus was stressed out. It's not in there. Because Jesus had this life of margin and pace. And when you read the Gospels, here's what you find. Jesus always got time for dinner with somebody. Jesus is not saying, look, can we get that on the calendar for like three weeks from now? Jesus says, hey, I'm going to go to your house today. He, He has room for people. He has room for family and friends and relationships. He has room for sharing the gospel. He has room for helping and encouraging and healing. Why? Because his life is not lived at this crisis pace. And at the end of his life, only 33 years old, at the end of his life in John 17, he's praying to his father and he says, Father, I've accomplished everything you told me to do. Anybody feel like you can pray that prayer this morning? I mean, at 33, Jesus, who was never rushed and never panicked and never stressed out, said, I've done everything you've asked me to do. Why? Because Jesus lived his life through the grid of eternity and what really mattered most. So what do you do? 
What do you do if you're living life in these areas? Here's one suggestion. Just decide that you're going to take a day, you're going to clean up and catch up. You're going to clean up and catch up. You're going to, you're going to look at your agenda, you're going to look at your calendar, you're going to look at your pace, and you're going to honestly say, either individually or if you're married with a spouse, you're going to honestly say, some things have to go in order for us to live like Jesus did. Some things have to go. We've got to strike some things, some good things maybe. These have to go for now. Maybe we can do them later, but these have to go for now so that we can live with margin at a sustainable pace that is spiritually healthy, emotionally healthy, relationally healthy. There are some things that have to go. And you may have to look at your kid's schedule and say, look, you can't do 10 things. We want to encourage you. We want you to have great experiences. But we can't do 15 things. We've got to decide what do we need to be doing right now, and we need to let the rest go. And then sometimes you may need a, a catch-up moment. My wife and I have these conversations every couple of months. She'll say to me, look, i got so much to do right now. Can I just have this day? Can I just work? Can I just stay late? Can I just and get caught up? I'll say to her, I, I, I need a weekend. I, I've, I've let some things go. I'm way over here in Quadrant One. I'm way stressed out. Can I have this evening? Can I have this weekend? Can I have this day? And just push some of this off of the to-do list. Check it off. Get it done so that I get my life back in a sustainable place. Now, you can't do that every weekend. Right? If you're doing it every weekend, you've got other problems that you've got to address. There's probably some things you need to clean up and get out of your life. But occasionally, every couple of months, you may have to, have to be honest with the people in your life and say, look, I have got to knock out some things. You've got to clean up, and you've got to catch up. Why is this important? Why? This sounds like you know, something you would get in, in a business seminar or something. You go to time management, you get all, get all this. What, what is the spiritual significance really of all of this? The Bible, when it discusses time, talks about two different aspects of time. There are two Greek words that are used to discuss time in the New Testament. And one of them is chronos. C-H-R-O-N-O-S. Chronos. When the Bible uses this term, this Greek word means minutes, days, calendar, appointments. So it's the progression of time. 2.30. That's chronos. That's why we talk about chronology, right? The passage of time. The order of time. So the Bible speaks of this aspect of time. Minutes, calendar, dates, but then the Bible also speaks of time in this way. Kairos. Kairos is qualitatively different from chronos. Because rather than minutes and dates and times and calendar, kairos means appointed time, ordained time. Time that God intends to use to do something in our lives or to use us to do something. Chronos is minutes and seconds and days and checking them off and to-do lists and calendars. Kairos is God has appointed this specific time in our life, in my life, and in your life for a specific reason. And Kairos doesn't come at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It, do, it doesn't happen at 7.30. You don't schedule it for two weeks from now. 
Kairos are those God-ordained moments when, for example, you have an opportunity to encourage a friend. There's that moment that you're supposed to pray with somebody. And it, it could be 8.30 or 4.30 or 6 o'clock at night. It doesn't matter. But there was this moment God ordained. He brought the two of you together. And He wants you to be sensitive to what's happening in the conversation. Maybe He's giving you the opportunity to share your faith with somebody. That's Cairo's moment. Maybe it is dinner. Maybe it is community. Maybe it's small group. Maybe it's building relationship with people who will love you and encourage you and it will feed your spirit and your soul so that you can handle the rest of your day. That's a Kairos moment. When we worship together, I know it's 9 and 1030. I know it's every Sunday. So there's an element of chronos in our worship. But when we come together and we begin to sing to God, that's a Kairos moment. That's God-ordained that you would be here and I would be here and we would sing together and we would study God's Word together and God's wanting to do something in us and for us and then through us because of the time, the ordained time that we spent together. If you're a parent, you have kairos with your kids. You have an ordained opportunity to love them, to build relationship, to build memories, to teach and model the things of God in front of them. You have an ordained window of time. And yes, there's chronos that goes along with being a parent, right? Because they go from first grade to second grade. They progress from 12 to 13, right? They go from Obedient and wonderful and, and compliant to demon-possessed. Like there's that switch when they get to be teenagers. It's like that moment. It was 2 o'clock on Tuesday when they were 14 and it's all over. right? There's a, so there's this chronos to it. There's this grade and age and we celebrate birthdays. But this is a God-ordained time that you don't get back. And first grade is going to turn into second grade. And pretty soon, they're all going to be in middle school. And then somebody's starting college, and somebody's walking down the aisle. And I mean, I guess you could measure that in minutes and seconds, but that's not the way God's looking at it. God's looking at it for you, mom and dad, and saying, all right, this is the ordained time that you have with them. This is the appointed time. You probably heard the phrase, the days are long, but the years are short. The days are long, but the years are short. And they are. The days are long. Making lunches and paying bills and getting them to soccer practice and volleyball practice and softball practice and gymnastic meet. And the days are long and the calendar's full and you're running and you're running. And then all of a sudden you look and you're teaching somebody to drive and you're making a college visit. And people are starting to move out of the house. Not just because Kronos is passing, but because Kairos, God-ordained, God-appointed moments. And here's my concern. My concern is when we mismanage the Kronos in our life, in our life, we miss out on the Kairos in our life. 
when we mismanage days and minutes and hours and seconds, then God is ordaining for things to happen to us and in us and in our relationships and in our marriages and in our parenting. God's ordaining for great moments and we're too busy. When we mismanage the seconds and minutes, we miss out on the appointed, ordained times. Because the days are long and the years are short. And almost 2,000 years ago, somebody who knew nothing about smartphones and internet wrote, Make the most of the opportunities. Pie up the seconds and the moments. Don't waste time. Let's pray. God, you've placed us within time and space.